Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 28, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this morning is entitled, The Question of Authority. Of 9-11 and the sex abuse scandal that rocked the American Roman Catholic Church. These events, according to the author, were devastating to the perceptions of Islam as a religion and the Catholic Church as an institution, but worse for the entire country, she says, all churches and all institutions, especially religious institutions, suffered by guilt of association. The misguided deeds of a few bad apples caused anyone with religious affiliation to become suspect, and in a larger ripple effect that seemed to warp time, the 1960s came fast forward, and the horrible decade found Americans again questioning all authority. The banks failed us, the government failed us, religion failed us. In whom can we trust? Questioning authority, though, just seems to have been evolved into our genetic code. And it is one of those promising signs of maturity, however unnerving and potentially costly it can be. Every parent knows the paradox of pride and pain they experience when the child first says, I can do it myself don't you? I can do it myself. I don't need your authority. It means she's growing up. She's becoming self-reliant, and that's a wonderful thing. But we also know the bumps and the bruises that come from cutting those apron strings, and we know that sleepless nights will come to us as we band-aid all those bruises, and as we pray that that bumpy road will soon level out and give us all a little peace. As Jesus toured the first century landscape of rural Palestine, his ministry of calling and teaching and healing questioned the authority of the religious and religiously political culture of that Roman-occupied land. As questioning authority always does, It stirred the spirits of many who had been lulled to sleep by the intention and design of an oppressive hand. It awakened the souls of the great masses who had forgotten the power of God, the mystery of life, if they had ever known it to begin with. It pricked the consciences of those who listened If you have ears to hear, if you can hear, Jesus said, and some of them did. So as it also always does, that question of authority rattled the cages of the beasts of power. It upset the apple cart. It turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple. It rocked the peace of that land bringing hope to the helpless and a dangerous anxiety to the keepers of the status quo. In every action of Jesus, we see this. 
in his acclaimed commentary on Mark's gospel called Binding the Strong Man, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. Ched Myers, who for 20 years has eschewed academia in favor of activism, Ched Myers gives us the play-by-play. In each episode, the tension grows. Now, with sentiment in our hearts, which comes to us with 17 centuries of a so-called orthodoxy, many Christians just read Jesus' actions as simple displays of divine power. Myers reads revolution. With settled eyes, the illusion of living in our quasi-Christian culture for so long, many Christians see Jesus' action just as the unfolding plan of God, predetermined from the beginning of time. But Myers sees radical disruption, radical newness, revolution. Each action has practical ramifications, of course. The lame walk, the blind see, the poor are given hope, In the faceless crowd, each one is given a name. The outcast are welcomed. The alienated finally know the touch of relationship. But each touch also has political implications. So why are so many alienated in the first place? And why so many oppressed? Religion had named them unclean, you see. Religion had made them unclean, and power had made sure they stayed poor and powerless. So when Jesus questions the conventions of religion, the quote-unquote insiders and the outsiders, when he questions traditional notions of righteousness, when he takes on laws of Sabbath keeping and ritual washing and kosher eating, those keepers of the laws begin to get nervous and the powers that be need the keepers of the laws to keep the peace. Now let me pause just a moment here and give those religious leaders the benefit of the doubt for just a moment because the rules were there for a good reason. You know, like Catholic tradition of not eating meat on Fridays or the Lenten tradition of giving up some, something for a season, rules about what to eat and when and where and how can be a helpful means of a growing discipline in our everyday lives. Monks in different traditions cut their hair in different ways. Why? It's just a reminder of their calling. You know, kosher laws still remind Jews who they are, where they come from, and it reminds them that as people of faith, they are called to be set apart, not set above, but called to a different standard of living, called to higher ground. And if it can keep you a little step closer to justice in the way you practice life, Well, it might even be worth the price of giving up barbecue, you know. Sabbath keeping, 
was not meant to convey superstition. You know, if you come to church, God will protect you. But if not, you're on your own. Sabbath keeping was about rhythm and balance in a wholesome life. And God knows we Americans could use a bit more rhythm and balance in our lives these days. So I am happy to be a proponent, even an annoyance to you. You know that proverbial grain of sand in the oyster's belly, reminding you that you need to be here on Sunday. Of course, you're here. They need to be here, too, <laughs> on Sundays. We need the community of weekly worship. I believe that. There is nothing superstitious or legalistic about fellowship and ritual discipline and intentional spirituality. We need it. But sometimes we do get ahead of ourselves. And our best instincts can get twisted. Ritual can become hocus-pocus. And spirituality can give way to superstition. And religious leaders, out of our good intentions, can bend a calling to comfort and to challenge. We can bend that into a pretense of control. Because power corrupts said Lord Acton, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, claiming the imprimatur of God, you know, the power of God, the Word of God, that can understandably lead to the absolute corruption of good intention and sacred obligation. Sabbath-keeping laws were given for good reason, but too many people didn't know the reason. And with no reason, Sabbath just became tradition to too many. Now to get people's attention about this, if you needed to pick a little corn on a Saturday afternoon in the grain field, so be it. Now Houston Smith says that all religious doctrine has its origin in experience. The experience of God, Christians say, in distinctly different manifestations led to a doctrine called Trinity. And if that doctrine can, can still point us to that multifold experience of God, then let us call the doctrine holy and true. But as soon as we codify or deify any words, holding them up as sacred in and of themselves, we have ceased to understand their power to point us to the reality of God in our experience. So it is with Sabbath keeping, as soon as we forget that worship is about the discipline of intentional spirituality, it becomes something ironically that leads us away from God instead of to God. All of the episodes in the text that I read for you today were actually rather ordinary events in Jesus' life, ordinary actions, but because of the legalism that had become wound around those practices for so many, Jesus' unorthodox teaching method, his spirit-led life became controversial. Now perhaps the starkest of these controversies was in that wonderful story of friendship and faith 
I loved this story as a child, as I'm sure you did. It was so fun to visualize those friends picking up their buddy on his mat and taking him to Jesus. You could see the crowds. And I can imagine in my mind that wonderfully mischievous act of civil disobedience as they tore open somebody's roof. Wouldn't that have been fun? Just to let their friend down right in front of Jesus in the living room. Every child could love that story, don't you think? But here's where the children's story ends and gets complicated from here on out. You see, Jesus forgives the man's sins and the pious just go wild. What do you mean? Who does he think he is? Only God forgives sins. The self-righteousness which Mark intentionally highlights gives a black eye to those scribes. But we probably ought to let it point the finger in our direction too. How often does our piety get in God's way? And where is the appropriate line between righteousness and self-righteousness? The way Mark tells the story is fascinating. I want you to listen to one little part of it again. The scribes questioned Jesus, accusing him of blasphemy. So Jesus said, well, let me ask you, what's easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? Which was easier? Well, the answer ought to be obvious. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because anybody can say your sins are forgiven with no need of evidentiary proof, right? Your sins are forgiven. Well, thank you. Well, there's a, it's a whale of a lot easier than giving a man's legs back to him, don't you think? But then Mark's tale takes an ironic twist because Jesus says, but so you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to the man, your sins are forgiven? No, so you know I have authority to forgive sins, I say, take your mat and get up and walk. Well, if Jesus was wanting to show power to forgive sins, shouldn't he have just said, your sins are forgiven? Well, just like the scribes in this scene, it's easy for our self-righteousness to consume us. Some sophisticated Christians these days don't even want to hear the word sin anymore. Others want to demythologize every story in the scripture, bringing our enlightenment questions to bear on those healing episodes. You know, did he really heal the man or not? And, you know, that's the question, right? And probably not, and we ought to say that. And Come on, folks. We need to get over ourselves. We need to listen to the beauty of the story. We need to experience the power of God in Jesus' touch and try to find it in our own now, the Apostle Paul speaks of sin in the singular, always. It's our condition. Sin is just our condition. Shakespeare has his character, Marcellus, speak it to Horatio this way. You know, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. I believe that. But Mark always says sins in the plural. Our sins Bind us, blind us, cripple us, weigh us down. 
It's worth considering what sins are in our own lives. What petty grievances are causing a relationship of yours to wither? What jealousy ruins marriages? What fear has kept a career from, from flourishing? Well, it would be much easier for us to say to one another, oh, it's, it's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. God loves you just the way you are. Don't worry about it. In other words, your sins are forgiven. And these are some of the most powerful words, I think. Some of the most powerful words, and Amy and I and Dan get to say them every single week. You are loved. You are forgiven. Be at peace. You know, I believe Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And I believe you do too. Because Jesus said so. Jesus said to his disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There is power in those words, I forgive you. If you don't know it, you need to try it sometime. Offering forgiveness may be the most liberating power in the world. You need to learn to use it. You are loved, you are forgiven, be at peace. You need to say it to someone this week. But you know, that's the easier part of forgiving sin. The more powerful and more important work to which Jesus also calls us is setting the captive free, giving sight to the blind, saying to those who cannot walk, stand up and take your mat and go home. As powerful as it is to offer forgiveness, to free someone of their sins, the more powerful calling is actually showing them what that would look like. Jesus wanted it to be crystal clear. God wants us to run, to walk, to soar on wings as eagles. So he told the man to empower himself, take up your mat and go home. Jesus questioned authority, but he also claimed authority. It's clear from the reading of Mark's gospel that people responded to Jesus because of his authority, which came from no institution, but from an internal integrity, a passionate conviction, a spirit of life. In short, Jesus' authority came from God who is the only source of real authority. Now, I don't know if the marketing department at Outback Steakhouse knew the theological implications of their slogan, but it is powerful. No rules, just right. You get it? When you question authority, those in power begin questioning no rules, well, but we need rules, no rules. But Jesus made it clear that real authority comes from a higher law that transcends the bounds of rules and laws and makes its own right for the sake of love. Jesus taught us dangerously, and it cost him his life. There are no rules. There are only right 
relationship. As you question authority and claim your own today, may it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.